Surf and Woof Radio from RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We join you every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50 a.m. Uh, Wednesday mornings. We're really glad to be doing this. Uh, we have a tremendous uh, sponsor in the Comenius Institute, which crosses three bridges into uh, various aspects of life. The first one is into college. Our work at IUPUI helping young Christian college students to navigate their uh, disciplines, their subject areas, their classes from a decidedly Christian point of view. Uh, had long discussions with folks uh, just yesterday, actually, on campus again. And then uh, we also interact with our community, which is especially through this radio show. We like to unite and bridge uh, leaders from around the Indianapolis area and always based on Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, to do good, do good, do good. We believe that showing beauty and doing good might actually encourage some people to ask us what our truth is. Instead of leading with truth, we lead with beauty and goodness. We're grateful for that. And then our third bridge is into culture. We are constantly writing, speaking, uh, interacting with all different kinds of issues as it relates to uh, life around us here in the world. But today, we are especially uh, pleased to have with us Pastor Joe Freeman uh, here from Heartland Church and uh, many other places. Uh, Pastor Joe, thanks so much for being here today. I'm grateful to be invited and look forward to engaging and see what we can share together. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get just start off with uh, introducing yourself to everybody. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and the kinds of things you're invested in in and around Indianapolis. Well, I... Um came from Colorado to start a new Lutheran denominational church um, in the Fishers area when it had uh, 6,000 people in three churches in 1981 mm. and knocked on doors for a few years and grew a church uh, that's uh, on 126th Street on 35 acres in Fishers called Christ the Savior Lutheran Church, mm. the church I named and was there 30 years as a as senior founding pastor. Mm. And then I uh, semi-retired uh, six years ago and in uh, Pastor Darren Chesky, a founding pastor of uh, Heartland Church, asked me to come aboard as a teaching pastor of spiritual mm. formation. Wonderful. So I've been teaching, mentoring, and counseling there. And i um, been retired a year and a half, but volunteering 30 hours a week to mentor and counsel persons free of charge. Mm. Still do weddings and funerals. I've done over 600 weddings. Mm. And, um, and I'm a grateful lad. And I, I like um, the Ministry of Presence and Counsel. Mm. That's something that um, is... is uh, great grace, and uh, I, I take it to heart. Absolutely. So tell us just a little bit about your family before I talk to you about your shirt that you're wearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was unfortunately divorced 18 years ago. Um, we uh, have two daughters, so uh, 37 and 35. Uh, the latter one is married, and uh, she and her husband and daughter, 10th grade daughter, live in Carmel. They both work in the finance field. Mm. Another daughter, Hannah, who uh, is uh, living with me currently and broke up with her fiancé and have a two-year-old child, and uh, so I've been an active grandparent, as well mm -hmm. as my ex and her husband and Carmel, active grandparents too, but Hannah's making her own way as a single mother, and, and that's beautiful to see. It is. And uh, that's, uh, I've done some dating, but I haven't found the right uh, person, so my motto is I'd rather have the right zero than the wrong one. <laughs> I have a feeling that this is going to be a tremendous conversation with lots of jokes. Now, I got I got a little message, and I noticed your response this morning from Dave Borum, uh, who said there will be a lot of bad jokes today. Well, I I, I think I have a humorous. I am Irish, uh, you know, as the the uh, British. I mean, the uh, the 
the uh, Scandinavians and Germans are kind of anal retentive and emotionally constipated, <laughs> but the Irish and Italians, their passion exceeds their insight. <laughs> so, oh, my. Well, from Germanic heritage, let me just say, I'm going to looking forward to laughing right along with you. <laughs> <coughs> well, that's a grand thing. It you know, you don't have just enough religion to be gloomy. <laughs> Some people do. Oh, my. Oh, this is going to be a fine time this morning for those of you just checking us out, waving at us here today. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Uh, and those of you who are going to pick up our podcast later on, this is Joe Freeman, pastor at Heartland Church, uh, who does all kinds of freelance, can I say that word, freelance mm-hmm. counseling and mentoring mm-hmm. in and around Indianapolis, uh, who does a lot of weddings and hopefully more weddings than funerals. Uh, you so, mentioned so far the ratio is a, a favorable ratio. <laughs> a favorable Although ratio. there's nothing wrong with the funerals if the person dies Christian because then they make that ultimate trade up into God's total kingdom care. There you go. And I think they see all of us lovingly through Christ-colored spectacles. Yeah. And uh, my best friend Tommy Pano founded uh, North Dakota Christian Life Church in Carmel uh, and died of Lou Gehrig's disease 18 mm. years ago. And and when I was having a bad hair day of religious people, and I just wanted to go to Texas Roadhouse, have a steak and beer, and, and talk to real people, <laughs> I sensed Tommy's presence all of a sudden. And then I realized mm. that sometimes those who are in God's near and dear presence, you'll sense their presence in what I call in the balcony of your life, praying and cheering you on. That's right. Not to haunt you, right? but to pray and cheer you on. Right. So I've sensed that with uh, some mentors uh, over, yeah. over the years. Well, the cloud of witnesses, uh, Hebrews 11, you know, certainly is true. And uh, just to just to let you know about my own um, direction toward the Celtic heritage, uh, I'm a big believer in thin places. Okay. And, and so this con- okay. interconnectivity between supernatural and natural worlds. In fact, Joe, you're going to appreciate this. I teach a course called Gothic Horror Literature. And this last fall, uh, one of my students, uh, we do practicums at the end of the course, one of my students actually wrote a song entitled Thin Places. I love it. And then played it. Great to see the lyrics. I know. Let me share those lyrics with you. Shoot uh, shoot me a message and and remind me of that. Okay. Uh, But this kind of thing, you know, the Celtic heritage, uh, the the thin place concept. And for those of you, by the way, who don't know what thin places are, uh, go on my website, warpandwoof.org, type in thin places in the uh, search line. It'll pop up. You can read my essay on thin places. Uh, the thin places, though, just in a short moment here, is simply where supernatural and natural worlds come so close together in the world in which we abide that uh, there is a crossover. There is a crossover, and nobody really understands it fully or comprehends it or maybe even sees it fully, but we know that it's there. You certainly have experienced that in the story you just told. I was in Ireland and I here for three weeks. Uh, Hartman gave it to me as a gift after my five years of being officially on staff and then the last year and a half and volunteering my time as a teaching pastor of spiritual formation. But I love Ireland and uh, I've been across Europe uh, five times, but the Irish people love Americans, unlike the French, who uh, <laughs> oftentimes don't. Okay. And, uh, and anyway, the, the Irish people are uh, just alive and well. And But I, I was real, the first four and a half days I was in the Airbnb place and I was just walking around uh, Dublin losing my way because i'm good with the highway system in mind and spirit but when it comes to asphalt and concrete i'm, I'm bad news so i'd always ask uh, directions from irish people and uh, and they always were so gracious and then i would say thank you and every irish person said not a care in the world was a response wow not not you're welcome but i would say thank you so much for taking the time to show me how to get to so-and-so they say not a care in the world wow two guys were, went, uh, were, were over ambitious and they said well 
next destination. Nice. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but it, it's a beautiful country. The countryside's beautiful, mm. and, um, and you know, you visit some of these old places uh, like a contemplative community, mm. and then uh, the uh, lar- the large community for developing disabled people, intentional Christian community that John Beignet mm-hmm. came up with fifty years ago and got the Templeton Prize about two and a half years ago. I visited the uh, large community in Ireland, which is an intentional Christian community for developing disinterested. In his credentials or how much he, uh, you know, he's uh, he's written and so on and so forth. They, they just want to know he can love. That's so right. He wrote differently after that too. It was it profoundly impacted him about mm-hmm. who we are apart from what we do. Right. Oh man, that's that's so great. Now, first <laughs> of all, uh, you and I are going to have to sit and have a pint sometime uh, soon, so we can. With apologies, by the way, to all my Baptist friends out there. Uh, just so you know, uh, there are some of us out there who actually enjoy uh, the amber liquids. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, this, this concept, let's come back to this concept of disability for just a moment. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Dave Duell, is actually uh, working for Johnny and Friends oh, and okay. does, off, does great work with disability. And it would be really nice if you want to continue a conversation along that line with him. I can make that connection for you. That'd be great. Well, I appreciate so much uh, what I've read from Henry because person's really handicapped in every way named Adam and then Adam died and wrote a book on it. Mm-hmm. They also uh, wrote a book called The Road to Daybreak and how, um, you know, he, had, he was at the height of uh, academia, tenured at Yale. Mm-hmm. Harvard was begging for him and he was an adjunct there. Um, but once he met John Beignet, the founder of uh, L'Arche, uh, which is a French term, it means the Arc mm-hmm. in France, uh, he uh, was so moved by it that he uh, spent the last 10 years of his life uh, That's in right. with that. And, um, uh, without scrutiny, yeah. we, uh, we all uh, fumble uh, and, and laugh, so on and so forth. Isn't that the truth? Wow. Uh, I, so I have to ask you this after, I want to talk about the degree issue just for, for a moment, in a, in a moment, but I wanted to ask you, have you written any books? Well, I wrote a book called Where Grace Abounds, um, Where Gratitude Abounds, uh, some years ago, which is uh, uh, several sermons that a publisher asked me to write, um, and uh, that's about it. But I was research assistant to both. But our society is so wounded, it, it tends to, uh, we tend to lean out of our woundedness. We either so much into love, it becomes license, or so much into truth, it becomes doctrinaire and domineering and, and no longer truth, and it becomes legalism. Yes. And so I think love and truth do their best work when they never leave each other's company. Mm, that's not the truth. And we need to do that with ourselves and with one another, and not be people pleasers, but... Uh, Right. Seek to be truthful and loving in, in an equal, mm-hmm. integrative way. So that, but the title is on my heart and mind. But I feel so intimidated with the teachers I've had to think about doing that. But at the same time, I think one of our experiences in the Christian journey is to learn to find our own voice and speak from there. Absolutely. No matter what adverse voices that being reared might have been, or the uh, the enamored voices that we're so appreciative of God's place in our lives. That's not meant to uh, replace or be uh, expressions of our own voice, but uh, encouragers and experiences that we can uh, find our own voice and speak from there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, I, and I'm wondering, as you're sitting here telling me these things, and, I, and the reason I asked you about the book is because it's pretty obvious that you're kind of like a fount sitting next to me over here. You're just uh, giving off all of this great wisdom, and uh, it would be really great to have some of these things written down. So. Well, I've had people, you know, encourage me to do it, but I just 
I don't know. There's so many books out there. One of the professors at Yale was Roland Bainton, the big Martin Luther sure. scholar, and um, and he would have breakfast with us students in the refectory at Yale. And he says the biggest population explosion isn't the human population; it's the book population. Mm. He says, uh, but he was he wrote Martin Luther here I stand. He wrote a wonderful, yeah. wonderful teetotaler Quaker man who uh, knew more about Luther than anyone else except the successor at Yale, Yaroslav you know, Pelagan, mm. who succeeded him at Yale, and so mm. on and so forth. Um, well, yeah. let me just add my voice to the voices that have encouraged you to write. Uh, and what I tell my students, since I teach a course on writing, mm -hmm. uh, what I teach my students is that your voice is really important, but it's the stories that you tell that are most important to everybody else. And quite frankly, it's, it's the process of ethnography, uh, getting down uh, your own personal experiences. And that would be a, a wonderful addition. Uh, anybody's story is a wonderful addition yes. uh, to life. Well, you know, I'm teaching a course right now in Noblesville and at Hartman Church. And uh, it's uh, using Brene Brown's uh, book, sure. Daring Greatly. And here's this person who's very perfectionistic and uh, anti-vulnerability. And ironically, God's taken her life and made her a specialist on vulnerability. <laughs> I, I call God the God of irony. Uh, I used to be an anticipatory nut trying to anticipate what's coming around the bend to minimize the next uh, pain feature for my life. But when I went through my divorce 18 years ago and went, went for a piece of that particular book, mm. uh, I just want to encourage you along that line thank because, you, thank you. because folks like yourself don't come along all that often. Well, thank you. Well, this Renee Brown class I'm teaching, I have some of my bar side friends from, uh, from, uh, from uh, Texas Roadhouse and Chatham Tap and Fishers who say, Pastor John, I'm not really religious, but I like how we have conversations. Can I come to the class even though I'm not a member of Harding? I said, by all means, uh, I welcome you. We welcome you. So one gal says, I'm going to bring my sister and best friend, Pastor Joe. So I got 40 people in this class at Heartland uh, and 24 people at the Bethel Lutheran Church. And But the important thing is, is that this whole matter that she addresses, Brene Brown, about shame and how it's emotionally crippling of us, mm -hmm. and how if, if we don't learn vulnerability, we can't get beyond the shame that prevents us from being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So the idea of being called to vulnerability and authenticity, and I, 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 I used a, a Lauren Daigle song, uh, she's the Christian Artist of the Year, and uh, the song was Losing My Religion. I used that. I had a gal in our church at Hartman who's from Trinidad, who's an outstanding voice. And the song is about uh, putting aside our mask mm. and our roles and being real people. Mm. And I thought that, that wasn't part of the material, but I had this integrative mind that pulls things from different places, integrates them, because it, it, it enhances what, what people need to experience. So Absolutely. that song was really great. This concept of interdisciplinarity is, uh, you know, just part of part of my psyche. So I'm right there with you. Uh, we're going to be taking a one song break here pretty quick, but uh, before we do, uh, I just want to make sure that everybody remembers uh, who we're talking with here today. It's Joe Freeman from Heartland Church. Really grateful for his presence with us. Uh, we're going to take a one uh, segment break here, uh, not a break from Facebook Live. You'll stay with us, but uh, from the podcast. And then when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. Uh, with Pastor Joe and for the uh, great inroads and impact that he's making in and around Indianapolis based on Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14 to do good. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNX.TV at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. Facebook Stop. Facebook Live. Uh, uh, we're we still here. so far, right? Oh, we're doing okay. this is a conversation. And that's what I love about this. It just becomes that. And especially with somebody like you. We trail about 45, 50 seconds. So. Oh, our, all right. So this, yeah, yeah. 
This, uh, well, you are, you, you're both very engaging. If uh, you're not Dulles Dishwater. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Yeah, That's why we're twins. Water. That's you right. Know? <laughs> we blow people's mind all the time they go out. Well, you're, you're a spiritual lookalike. Well, that's yeah. Right. That's, that's, right. that's, that's our whole gist of our twins. That's, yeah, right. that's our brotherhood. Yeah. I asked him to come to my class, uh, was it last week? Yeah, a couple week, weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, and uh, he came in and announced himself as my twin. And uh, and I came up next to him, put my arm around him, and I said to the class, "Don't we look alike?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I just a guy who uh, who's uh, played basketball in Boston and tall and good-looking guy, uh, Scandinavian, um, actually Irish. And um, and I when I introduce people to the two of us, I say, you know, this is he and I are spiritual lookalikes. And people look at it. I say, well, I can tell you're thinking about physicality. And you're not getting my point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We, we yeah. have spiritual, we have spiritual right. lookalikes. But personally, I desire to. Three H's in my life in recent years: height, hair, and handsomeness. And it's like God says, "Joe, I want you to pay it up to another three H's: uh, hope, humility, and heaven." There you go. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So that's what I'm wanting to do. Yeah. Looking forward to stepping up to the eternal rest. Yeah. Hebrews chapter four. Yeah, that concept of shame would be a whole discussion point. And uh, you she know, does it so well. Yeah. She is really. She's. You know, some people are good speakers. Some mm-hmm. other people are good researchers. But she's mm-hmm. got. She's a master's of social work and a PhD in research, and she does both very well. That's great. I'm wondering, uh, does she have any kind of segues, with, uh, let's say, with Genesis 3 and uh, Genesis 2 and 3, and the emphasis of shame at the end of Genesis 2? Where I, she, I, In her research, she hasn't mentioned it, okay. uh, but uh, boy, that shame and how it just does a bad job on us. And mm-hmm. she talks about the difference between shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Guilt has to do with behavior. Shame has to do with a, a sense of your well-being right. or a lack of well-being. Right. It impacts the interiority of our yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Are you familiar with and have read James Houston from uh, Regent out there on the West Coast in Canada? I've heard his name. James Houston. I, not, uh, I have heard his name. He's written a great book on spirituality uh, oh. that I think you would really appreciate. James Houston. James Houston. Uh, it's older book now, probably in the early aughts of this century, and uh, I think you'd really appreciate it a lot. But anyway, uh, you know, we can banter back and forth anytime, you know, and I'm serious about the whole, let's, let's get a pint or come out over my house, we'll watch movies in my theater, you know. I go to movies every weekend. Do you? Okay. Oh, yeah, I, write, I post things on Facebook, movie reviews. Oh, uh, great. I love movies. I think I call it the America's... Uh, Modern day cathedral. Yes, uh, because when people go to movies and go to church, absolutely, yeah. and people think they're go to movies to get entertained, but really what they want, they want, I think people want to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Underneath all that desire for entertainment is a desire to be impacted. They're right. always looking for answers. Mm-hmm. They're looking for answers, and mm-hmm. uh, the sad part is they don't even know the questions to ask for the answers they're seeking. A lot of times, so mm-hmm. that's when that's when we start having mental health issues. Is when you know there's yeah. something wrong, but I don't know what to ask. I don't I don't know where to get that. That answer. Yeah. And one of my other mentors at Yale, uh, William Stone Coffin, the chaplain at Yale, I recorded the sermons for him. And he says, you're only as big as the questions you wrestle with. Mm. And some people are, are wrestling with some pretty small-minded questions. But he <laughs> says, if we, if we really let the questions be big, he says, we have to leave them open-ended and grow and mature into the answer. Mm-hmm. Isn't yep. that good? It is good. My concern for young people, and I, I constantly i am teaching them how to ask questions, um, my concern for young people is to answer and address affective questions. That is, the things that nobody can see and hear. We, as Americans, uh, we have a tendency to focus on cognitive behavioral with uh, leaving out the affective. And this, as an educator for all these years, I see this constantly where we are always interested in outcomes that we can measure in terms of knowledge or doing. 
instead of the being aspect. Good point. And that's why you and I are really sinking here on these ideas. Because we have this kind of uh, belief system that's already already resonant within our souls, you know. So that's a good thing. Facebook Live, thanks for hanging in there with us. We're going to be coming right back here in just a moment with the podcast. Uh, You're getting to listen to some of the jibe here from uh, the three of us. My twin on the other side of the table. You can't see him, but you heard his voice. That's right. You heard his voice. HB, we are back. Warp and Woof Radio, Radio Next.TV. At the Cool Groove site, we come to you every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50. And this particular week, we are pleased, pleased, I must say, to have it in studio with us, uh, Joe Freeman, Pastor Joe, here uh, called, actually, the Pastor of Fishers. Now, I saw that that was uh, something that was... They call me the Village Pastor. The Village Pastor. Okay, yeah. so uh, from I saw this in the Fishers Magazine uh, yeah. sometime, sometime back. A year ago, January, yeah. Wow, you... Man, you keep these details in mind. That's impressive. Well, I don't spend much time with a hairdresser, so I have time to, uh, <laughs> to record things better. <laughs> Once again, a shout-out to Dave Borum and the bad jokes. Uh, the <laughs> well, Beth, his wife, when he did that. Dave's wife, Beth. Yeah. Oh, Beth, okay. Well, we're grateful to have Joe with here with us today, and we're been, we've been just having a conversation about a lot of different issues. And I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper about, about Henri Nouwen and about his impact on your life and uh, the kind of teaching that he did with you, and uh, maybe then kind of segue into how that now impacts how you mentor and counsel. Well, Henry Nowen uh, had two uh, higher degrees from Europe on theology and psychology, and, and he always integrated uh, in his writings and teaching uh, theological and, uh, and psychological uh, integrative features about how to look at a human being, how to look at a life. So his impact upon me was just uh, still working within me, this whole matter of Christian spirituality, and to, uh, uh, to not be afraid of psychodynamics, but also uh, not to minimize the importance of uh, theology and Christian spirituality. Mm-hmm. When I uh, finished uh, Yale Divinity School, I got a call to be associate pastor of a large church in suburban Denver, and he encouraged me to say no. He said, they'll ask you again. He said, I really think you should get some more advanced clinical pastoral care training and, uh, and I will, what's called CPE and have it up. But some CPE programs are big on being clinical, but apologetic about being pastoral. Mm. So he recommended a program that I should go to at National Institute of Mental Health, Washington, D.C., at a psychiatric hospital called St. Elizabeth's, where I spent two and a half years in clinical pastoral care. Mm. And um, sure enough, it was uh, about pastoral identity, about... Uh, the basics of psychiatry, uh, about about developmental psychology, and all integrated together. So I just appreciate this mentoring me about uh, having a balance mm. of uh, of, uh, of uh, mind and and soul uh, working in, in tandem and concert with each other, and he really impacted me that way. And how that influences my work with people is that, you know, I, I think. The question, I used to ask the question, what can I do to please people? And, and then uh, about 15, 16 years ago, I realized uh, what the question I need to ask when I'm with a person or a couple is, what's a God blessing needed here, whether or not it pleases anybody? Mm-hmm. And now I'm really, <clears throat> was at that intersection of theology and psychology where he saw the integration and how it can help people uh, to understand. I mean, there's that Bible verse, Psalm 51, 6, which says, Oh, Lord. You desire us the truth in the inward parts of our lives. You make us to know wisdom there. Yes. So uh, the whole idea of, uh, I call it a pre-psychotherapy statement, and David 
did it 2,700 years ago. <laughs> yes, he did. And how we could, uh, and, and the, the key tool I use is the Enneagram, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, founded by the Desert Fathers ages ago. and It's been tweaked and tweaked by groups, but it's one of my key tools because it's both spiritual and psychological. Mm -hmm. My, my, my metaphor for that is my favorite ice cream place around here is Handel's Ice Cream, and my favorite flavor is chocolate raspberry truffle. And if you think about chocolate and raspberry have been around forever, but someone recently brought them together, and I think the taste of chocolate raspberry together is more dynamic than the taste of them separately. Mm -hmm. So metaphorically, when you bring the best of human psychology, the best of Christian uh, theology together, not as combatants or competitors, but as mm -hmm. compatriots and colleagues, mm -hmm. then uh, the... Uh, then the, the read on you is more dynamic if we look at you simultaneously, psychologically and spiritually. And Henry Nowen did that at every turn in his writing and his working with people. And his impact with me with the four forces I had with him as his research assistant and eventually I became his administrative assistant to his great correspondence. That's just fantastic stuff. For those of you listening, uh, to, to understand the depth of what it means to actually practice uh, faith learning integration is, uh, is something that really takes an awful lot of effort. And, and quite frankly, a lot of years. So, you know, Pastor Joe, aside from the fact that you don't have any hair, and I suppose your comment about uh, not having you know, a hairdresser figures in here at this juncture, um, you have an awful lot of time to spend to think through these things. Let's, let's pursue that a little bit further, because I think for, for a lot of people, that's really not where they're at. They, we have this, this idea, not just in the academy, but also in real life, that we put things in boxes, and we silo everything, and we segment stuff out, fragment everything. And so let's talk about the synthesis, this completion, what, what the Hebrews called wholeness or shalom. Let's talk about that and why that's so important just in daily life. Let's just start there in the application, and we'll go backwards. Why is wholeness or completion so important in daily life, daily living? Well, we're wounded people, and we, in our big, big desire, truth be told, is for wholeness. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, I love the origin of words. And when you look at the word holy and the work, look at the word wholeness, uh, actually they were born at the same time and come from the same root. Mm -hmm. So the grammar reveals the bias. You're never going to have a whole life until you experience the holy God. Mm -hmm. You can't pull gold over him and expect to experience wholeness because the word wholeness and holy were born at the same time, at the same place, from the same root. Mm -hmm. And we need to appreciate that. Yes. A, there's an intimate connection between uh, wholeness and, and the Holy God. Mm. Uh, and we do desire wholeness. We do desire healing. But we need to, uh, uh, the way I like to put it is, my life journey has been a journey from resentment to gratitude. Mm. You're either moving from something less noble to something more noble, or else you're stuck at a station. Mm. And I was stuck at the station of resentment for years and years. And, and you can't have an emotion or attitude residential within you and have it in isolation. It will always invite his kissing cousins to come live with it. <laughs> so when the Bible talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., it's because they are, they, they are family members. And you have one of them in a dominant way. Eventually, the others will come and roost with it. Mm. Where resentment has kissing cousins. Mm. And basic, uh, basic distrust of life, desire to get even, a need to manipulate. And so gratitude, it's anonym, has kissing cousins, which are uh, much more healthy and whole. Mm -hmm. So it, I think every person has picked a particular emotion and attitude to be residential within them. Mm -hmm. Every one of us have. And we need to examine what that is, because that, that, that attitude and emotion will always invite his kissing cousin to come loose with it. Mm -hmm. He has to be particular. And I think um, Henry Nowen talked a lot about movements, the movement from loneliness to solitude, the movement from 
hostility to hospitality, the movement from reacting to responding, the movement from illusion to prayer. And I, so that's really been, uh, in, in, you know, in, embossed on me is uh, that we uh, we either we need to we need to be in movement from from something less something less noble to something more noble. And uh, and 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 that's the call to wholeness. You know, you're young only once, but you can be immature indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, you do you do know what the smallest package in the world is, don't you? Tell me. A person completely wrapped up in himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, we the call to maturity. Now we had a, a very unique way of uh, defining maturity is when we feel prompted to go in the direction that's not yet natural to us, but we know within ourselves we need to go in that direction. Mm. So that's a very interesting way of looking at maturity. Uh, that that it, one way you can measure maturity is uh, have you developed any new naturals lately, any new normals? Mm. And what, what, me being an extrovert par excellence and learning from Henry Nowen and, and others like. Uh, Guy at the Schlem Institute in, D- in D.C. Uh, about uh, the contemplative way and learning to be reflective and contemplative and not just an extrovert. Mm. Um, so I, I, one thing I do at, at, at Harvard is teach people contemplative practices, mm. uh, how to have that, you know, uh, the Lectio Divina, the, the examine, uh, the breath prayer, uh, the, the centering prayer uh, practice is something I do, I do myself uh, each day. Mm. And, uh, it helps out to do that. The necessity of maintaining the tension, and I, I intentionally use the word tension rather than balance, uh, the necessity of maintaining the tension between a biblical theological understanding of these ideas and the necessity of seeing ourselves as people, as human beings made in God's image, and then reflecting upon all of the aspects of what makes us up as humans needs to be held in tension so that we are um, in a fallen state and in a fallen world uh, at the best place that we can possibly be in. The difficulty, of course, of that is simply living life because there are so many different tensions that we face. So let's take this a little bit further. We've talked about the application of this. Let's go back now and talk about the theological foundation for it. We touched on it here and there a little bit from the Psalms and so on, but if for those uh, who are uh, biblically minded, for Christians who are listening to this particular broadcast, uh, where would you begin to help them to understand the responsibility of seeing the integration of faith and learning, psychology and theology? Well, it's one thing to have a, a lot of religiosity and a lot of Jesus jargon. Yes. It's another thing to really have uh, such a love for Christ that you want to grow and mature in him more and more. And, and you have to do some things that aren't natural for you, but... God is beckoning you to uh, to move in certain directions to mature and grow as a person, and I uh, I think that the uh, the Christian journey is uh, is a call to maturity. Mm. Uh, Paul talks about maturing in the faith, not mm. always having uh, the, the baby's milk and so on and so forth. So mm. um, um, I don't know, help me out with it a little bit more. No, that's a, that's a really good start. The necessity of understanding where we begin. So we begin by. Our salvation, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, lives for us today, is coming back again. All of that is the foundation for uh, who we are and the beginning of our spiritual life as Christians. So now you've well suggested first steps, and that is we begin by understanding uh, what does Scripture teach, what are the basic doctrines, what are some of the basic ideas of this. Now how do we put them into practice, our theology wedded with psychology, uh, you mentioned a few moments ago, for instance, uh, the connection with the Psalms and the necessity of understanding David. 
And then you kind of segued into uh, this reflective contemplative practice process. So let's go back to some of that and re-engage that and, and, and talk with people again about how is it that we move from a, uh, not from, but with a Christian view of life and things, understanding ourselves to a degree that helps us to live better lives as Christians. Well, we have to do it not uh, in isolation, because an isolated Christian is a paradise Christian. Mm. You need to do it in concert in the Christian community. Um, you know, the most attended church in America is uh, St. Matches of the Spring. <laughs> and it's really hard to get people to transfer their membership. And, uh, what I find out, when you're, when you're a member of St. Matches of the Springs, uh, your idea of God is not tested, stretched, nurtured, developed. It's just your idea about God. And what I, what I see as a gift set in me uh, is, is uh, to be a bridge builder mm. and uh, to help people with some misnotions that are authoritative over them about God, but they're not the, 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 the fullness of God and who he really is. So I like to help people build bridges from their current notion of God to a fuller, richer notion through Scripture and Christian teaching. And I've helped that with people. I have more bartenders and beauticians going to uh, Heartland to Christ Sacred Church than, than most pastors would, I think, because I don't mind being away from a church campus and being at Texas Roadhouse or being at Chatham Tap or uh, uh, wherever and, and, and build rapport right. with people, not overnight, but over time, mm -hmm. and help them to awaken. Because I know my own notion of God as a kid and teenager was that he was almighty and he existed. And he caused me to have my five stepfathers. And, uh, and, and that, uh, that was a misnotion, but it was authoritative for years and years. And then as I moved into Christian community through my peer group at Pentecostal Church as a quasi-Roman Catholic, I noticed in the Roman Catholic Mass, the Mass was said in Latin. I couldn't understand it back in the 60s. But Pentecostals uh, were speaking in tongues, and I couldn't understand that either. But I noticed that Pentecostals were more animated. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that church became my surrogate family, teaching me things my family of origin should have but didn't. And so in Christian community, I awaken in a more, uh, it's like giving God permission to speak to you in quadraphonic sound. Because mm -hmm. in St. Matthew of the Springs, it's mono. Mm -hmm. But in Christian community, it's quadraphonic, because it's through uh, a line of a hymn, or a, a part of the message, or a serendipitous conversation before or after worship that uh, you're having, and, and that person's saying something quite innocently and authentically, but it, it, it hits you at a time in a place where you know God's working on you. Yeah. But you can't get that at St. Matthew of the Spring. So you need Christian community to really grow and mature, and you need to stay in the Word and read it daily, and let it read you as well, and not treat it as a duty. A couple of things I do when I do my devotional life uh, in recent years is uh, first thing I, I, I say, I want to hear myself say is, Jesus, uh, help me fall in love with you more. Uh, because I find if I fall in love with Christ more, uh, I can say a, a, a more consistent no to the devil, sin, and evil, and temptation. And a fuller and fuller yes. I kind of imagine our lives like a 42-room mansion. Hmm. And when we first uh, say yes to Christ in a genuine way, it's the biggest yes you've ever given, but truth be told, there's only 12 rooms. Hmm. There's 30 more rooms to go. There's one room where we're ashamed of that. We don't want him in there. It's another room we still like to have control. We don't want God to control it yet. And so what I, need, what I say is it's the biggest yes we've ever given, but the rest of our lives, we need to grow in the fullness of our yesness. Grow in the fullness of that. A greater, fuller yes. Hmm. When James and John, sons of Zebedee, 
uh, Sons of Thunder uh, didn't like how Jesus was treated in a certain um, a certain town and wanted to call fire from heaven and scorch and torch this place. They came from their personality. Mm -hmm. Years later, Herod, uh, the, 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 the ruler of Judea, says, uh, you know, he sees to it personally that, that James was executed. But John outlives them all. He writes Revelation uh, in exile. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes First, Second, and Third John. And he lives to be almost eighty. And when he dies, they call him what? The Apostle of Love. There's no indication that he has his temperamental features and anger of personality. They're gone mm -hmm. because when the Holy Spirit moves within your life, and you and you're not teasing and tinkering with Jesus, you have this growth and the fullness of yes. Uh, the Holy Spirit works on you in such a way He shapes you into a person. And the word person originally means sounding through. Mm. What identity are you allowing to sound through you? Do you let your marketability tell you who you are, your good looks, your athletic prowess, your wealth and possessions? I think God intends these things to be assets, but of our woundedness, we tend to make them our basis of identity. Mm. And it's not the basis of our identity at all. Our belovedness by God is that basis of identity. And so I, I, I think we need to be particular about where our base of identity is. And I think in Christianity, you find that. In the Word of God, we find that. So I say, Jesus, help me fall in love with you more. And uh, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me with that. And um, um, it's just so important. To, and then I ask the Lord to help me re-vulnerabilize myself. Because I mm -hmm. think when we do a devotional time, we can be very dutiful and do it. But if we don't re-vulnerabilize ourselves in God's presence, and, and just really imagine His, His loving presence with us and be authentic and bring the good, bad, and ugly of ourselves and don't self-edit. Yes. Uh, that that we, we but but the call to re-vulnerabilize ourselves is a fearful thing, mm. but it's a very necessary thing to grow in the fullness of, uh, of maturity. Does mm. that make sense? Oh my yes. Now this is a fantastic conversation we're having this morning with Joe Freeman, <laughs> who is pastor at Heartland Church here in Indianapolis. We've been discussing the issue of spirituality, the interiority of the Christian. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about counseling and mentoring. Uh, and then, of course, uh, something maybe that we could launch into here now toward the end of our broadcast uh, would be this intersection with building rapport uh, over time. Um, one of the things I try to help students understand is that we talk a lot about witness, but we talk little of withness. Mm, and we need yeah. more withness. Yeah. And we need to be with people. And so one of the reasons why... I want to be in the public university is to be with people. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I want to be with people who aren't believers is to be with people. And because, of course, this, this comes out of Mark 3, out of Acts chapter 4, people saw the disciples and they knew they had been with Jesus. So let's talk about the necessity of being with people and some of the work that you're doing at Chatham Taft, for, for instance, uh, and why you do what you do, and the necessity of that for all Christians who are firm in their faith, who are able to go out and interact with people. But here's this necessity of evangelism that, quite frankly, takes a whole different turn from Billy Graham years. Mm -hmm. It does. And I think, you know, when um, when you're at a Texas Roadhouse or Chatham Chapel, wherever you might be, in a social setting, and you, uh, I, I have this genuine need to come to know people for how they might tell themselves, tell you about themselves and build a bridge there and build a bridge from there to how they might experience the Lord when I think they're beginning to be open to it. But at the point of where they're, uh, you know, like the, there's a couple of different bartenders I've been connecting with mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're having bad relationships to, to, uh, to guys. 
and uh, and I share with them that sometimes God uses uh, relationships that, uh, as bridge relationships, not the landing. Mm. So they have to examine and see: is this a bridge relationship that God's using to, to shape and mature me for the landing, or is it is it the landing? And it's really hard when we're in the midst of it to do that. But that, yeah. when I talk that kind of way, mm -hmm. they get really intrigued. Sure. And then you know when I'm talking to people about religious faith and they're sharing their their, their life their life uh, events. And I share about my experience at Henry Nowen at Yale. They said, well, Yale, why would Yale be teaching about theology? And, mm. and so I said, well, what Yale and Harvard began as divinity schools training men for the ministry. And and, and they, because they, they tend to think about religion as emotionality mm -hmm. and self and self-service. Uh, but but when I share with them about the, the intellect and the spirit working together, that there's a spiritual side to them. Uh, as well as an emotional and, and uh, cognitive side of them, and, and they aren't—they're cheating themselves, and they don't really move into the area, arena, because every person's two-thirds mystery, no matter how well you know them, and they need to unpack the mystery of who they themselves are. Mm. And, um, does that make some sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, to, but it's, <clears throat> I, I think the thing that it's so drawing to me from what you do is that you want to be with people. Well, yeah, I don't tolerate it. I enjoy it. In fact, yeah. I sometimes look forward to it. I mean, because sometimes people who who are super religious have the nomenclature down, but there's something you can tell there's not an integrative feature. It lacks substance. Yeah, they lack their humanity at some juncture there. Yeah, yeah. So having been a former Pentecostal and had spoken in tongues and still use it in my own personal private devotional life, you know, I have some credibility with Pentecostals, but also with... Uh, with Father Phil Bowers, the Holy Spirit of Guy's Catholic Church, um, mm -hmm. uh, who was a Purdue Newman chaplain for many years and then founder of Holy Spirit. So, whether and, and the, the Orthodox pastor in Fishers, and Bill Hanna, who's from Egypt, I, I love the, uh, you know, the, the Christian faith is a non competitive sport among Christians. Mm -hmm. I call Christian a noun, Lutheran, Catholic, and Baptist adjectives. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why we have adjectives is to describe nouns. But some adjectives get so ambitious they want to become a noun. <laughs> and they should be slapped back down the adjective <laughs> and be content with being descriptive without trumping a non-Christian. Mm. I mean, Pope Francis is the Pope, but there's something very, he's larger than Roman Catholic. Uh, uh, Tim Keller, the Presbyterian pastor in New York, uh, where the New York Times uh, columnist David Brooks uh, attends, um, he's, he's Presbyterian, but he's larger than Presbyterian. And, and Adam Hamilton, uh, a big church in Kansas. He's Methodist, but he's larger than Methodist. We have to make sure that that wherever we're going, that the parameters and uh, and the and the uh, and the organizational features of it don't hem us in too much. Mm -hmm. We've got to let the Christ within us be larger than that, and uh, because that's where we can be a good gift to that church or to that denomination. Yeah. I've always loved Lutheran more in Lutheranism. Mm -hmm. This is a, a fantastic discussion <laughs> that we're having today with uh, Joe Freeman here from. Things we need to deal with or project the issues we have onto others as if it's their issue. I think part of the heart of it is, is that Jesus was a stranger to self-hatred. And because he was a stranger to self-hatred, he didn't project and he didn't repress. And uh, because we have some level of self-hatred, uh, we could be honest with ourselves, there's some things we despise about ourselves. We, you know, it, uh, Brennan Manning, uh, who was a writer's writer, his last book was It's All About Grace, because mm -hmm. he was a former priest, a divorcee, uh, a, a alcoholic much of his life, and yet uh, he, he uh, it, was, it was his encounter with grace and 
being regraced each day that inspired him and redirected him and asked him, we need to stay in the classroom. C.S. Lewis and, uh, and Tolkien's always stayed in that classroom with Holy Spirit remained their teacher. Mm. They never left and let their own minds be their own glory. Mm. Sure sounds like Romans 8, 5 to 9 to me, that we might have the mind of the spirit rather than the mind of the flesh. Uh, you've been listening to Pastor Joe Freeman here today from Heartland Church here in Indianapolis. And, of course, uh, my producer and friend and twin, H.B. Bell, along with us here today, adding a few good comments uh, along the way in between our segments. We're grateful, of course, for the opportunity to be with you. We're, ha we're going to be back with you again next Wednesday. Look forward to another broadcast. Uh, you can pick up the podcast later on today or perhaps tomorrow and we will have that up online. We're grateful again to Pastor Joe. Thanks ever so much for being with Thank us. Thank you. Today. Delight to be with you guys. Yeah, we're glad that you're, we were not as dull as this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're more than more than fun to be with. <laughs> <laughs> Blessings in the rest of your day, everybody. Warp and Woof Radio. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.